Welcome to the Avail Leadership Podcast, where our goal is to help you take your leadership to the next level. My name is Virgil Sierra, and today we have the honor and privilege of hearing from author, speaker, and leader, Lisa Bevere. We had a wonderful conversation about leadership, mentors, discipleship, and so much more. This episode is sure to leave you feeling motivated and inspired to take the next step in your God-ordained leadership journey. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Avail Leadership Podcast. My name is Virgil Sierra. I'm the Avail Leadership Media Host. I'm also the lead pastor of Vertical Church, a.k.a. Iglesia Vertical in South Florida, where we are one church, two languages. And we are here at Avail Leadership Podcast. Our goal and our heart and our mission uh, as a Christian leadership brand is to produce resources that are relevant and practical and God-honoring so that leaders all around the world, pastors, ministry leaders, people that say, I want to make a difference, can be equipped and empowered to do this art of leadership. And today I have the blessing of connecting with an amazing, amazing person, somebody that my wife and I dearly, dearly admire and cherish uh, because of what God has placed in her heart, the ministry that God has placed in her heart. We're talking about New York Times bestselling author, minister and speaker, Lisa Bevere. What an honor it is for us, Lisa, to be able to connect with you. How are you feeling here on the Avail Leadership Podcast? I'm feeling great. And you know, I feel like we're related. You're talking with your hands. <laughs> So I always talk with my hands. I'm like, we're Italian and Hispanic <laughs> happening. So I'm like, if, if, if I was there, I would hug you. So yeah, for those, for those who are maybe listening to the audio, just imagine kind of like karate, a, a, a Hispanic karate, karate guy and an Italian <laughs> woman. I love it. I love it. So, so Lisa, you know, one of the things that I love about the Avail Leadership Podcast is we connect Honestly, with world-class leaders, that's why we're here with you today. You're a world-class leader, and I know you might not say that about yourself, but I'll say it. You are such a blessing to so many. You've been, you and your husband, John, have been such a blessing to so many people for so many years, and I know there's so much more that the Lord has. And I know that a lot of people connected right now are familiar. They know who Lisa Bevere is, but I also know, because this is this is a big world, that there's some people who are getting to know you here on this podcast. Can you just share a little bit of your story, Lisa, your journey, uh, who you are, so so that the people connected can understand a little bit more about you? Absolutely. Well, and I'm so honored to be on here. We have the utmost respect for Avail and its founder, Sam Chan, legend yeah. people. And I don't know, I don't know too many leaders in our world that have not intersected with Sam Chan and mm -hmm. came away stronger and with more clarity. And so I love that. I love that I get to be part of this. So um, I was raised in a incredibly dysfunctional family. Our family was doing dysfunctional long before the Kardashians figured out how to make money out of it. My dad is 100% Sicilian. And uh, all of that package, everything you can imagine, the answer is probably yes. Uh, and I had never really heard the gospel until I was 21 years of age. At 21 years of age, I found myself destitute. I had become mm. everything I did not want to be in just a short amount of time on my own in college. And I met this man named John Bevere, 
at breakfast when I was wearing a bikini top and cut off shorts. Uh, I know you're <laughs> from South Florida. That's possible, uh-huh. appropriate in South Florida. I was in Indiana. So it was a little bit of a shock. And uh, John said he prayed and said, God, I, I would really love my wife to have legs like that. And I don't know whether God just loves those kind of prayers or what happened, but I ended up asking John some questions. He invited me to a Bible study picnic. I All I heard was free food. So I go to this picnic, <laughs> and for the very first time, I hear about the love of God. And, you know, Virgil, wow. I know you grew up in the church. I did not mm-hmm. grow up in the church. I grew up with thinking Jesus is angry at me. I pretty much have blown it, you know, by 10. Mm. And so when John shared that God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me, that that God had told John to ask me out to share the gospel, I, I grabbed a hold of it with both hands. Mm. And on my very first date with John, I was born again, filled with God's Holy Spirit and healed. And I didn't even know any of that happens. And wow. at that point, I entered into a whole new world called Christian. And it was very interesting. This is back in 1981. There was Mm. a lot of stuff that was going on that almost was the antithesis of Christian. And so my husband and I were young and we said, what do we want to see different? Without criticizing what is, how could we build what might be? And, you know, mm. Virgil, that started with John and I before we ever had kids. Let's let's go back. We've been married 38 years. Let's go back 37 probably years. John mm-hmm. and I were sitting in a Chinese restaurant, writing on a napkin, dreaming about the day we're in right now. We, we wrote down things, not even understanding that there is a principle that when the people of God who fear God speak about the faithfulness of God to one another. It's actually a conversation, the book of Malachi says, that God listens in on. But he doesn't just listen in, he takes note. And so John and I, two awkward 20-year-olds dreaming in a Chinese restaurant, dreaming what ministry and life leading an organization that's given away over 40 million resources in over 111 languages, what that might look like. And again, we were so starry-eyed in the moment. I don't know. I, I don't know if we understood what all that was going to cost us, what all, and when I say cost, <laughs> I don't mean money. I mean <clears throat> lots of stuff. Um, yeah. But God took that and we wrote the vision. And then we have spent the last 38 years running with it. And not only have we run with it, now our children are running with that vision as well. That is, that's so cool. Um, I think there's a lot here that we can kind of bite off and chew, but I really appreciate you sharing that story um, because it's amazing how God will take literally where we're at in life and put dreams in our hearts put vision in our hearts. And like you were saying, you know, uh, you know, fast forward 38 years, right. And look what God has done and what he's up to. So I want to, there's something that you mentioned to me as we were kind of preparing and talking for this podcast. Um, There's something that's just in your heart. 
which is this idea that in this culture, in this season of, of, of the world, it seems like men are under attack, right? And, and this is something that's kind of big on your heart right now in the role that that women can play in the lives of the men that are in their lives. Can you touch on that? Yes, absolutely. Well, going back to the Genesis mandate of God creating this man in a perfect mm. world and giving him the ability to name everything. And then the man realizing that there was something within him that needed to mm. be outside of him, that there was something that was hidden within that he needed to have a conversation with when he realized there was nobody like, but different. And so God created woman as the answer to the very first problem. And that is, it is not good for man to be alone. Be alone, right? Man is not good, which is what our culture is saying. Our culture right. is saying men are not good. Men are jerks. Men are bad. Toxic masculinity. Now, do I think that there are branches of toxicity in what our culture might call masculinity? Absolutely. Right. Looking at the masculinity of a man, I should not call that toxic any more than mm-hmm. I could call the femininity of a woman toxic. Both right. masculinity and femininity are God-given and they are God-breathed. Now, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean there's not room for growth and opportunity. And so what we see is man alone, God creates a woman. And a woman, it's, it's so fascinating to me that everything that God does is reflected in science. So the man's chromosomes are X and Y. God takes the X, he multiplies it to the second power, which makes X <laughs> X. And he gives this man a woman, which means the woman has the power to multiply, which is, I think, why it's been so important that the church says we need to give women back their voice, that leadership yeah. says we need women at the table, that influencers are saying it's not enough just for men to have influence. We need women to have influence. Yeah. But it's a mistake to have women who have influence at the expense of men, just as it was a mistake to give men influence at the expense of women. women. We -hmm. need both male and female to use their influence on behalf of one another. God always created man and woman to be power unions, not power struggles. My husband sees things I miss. My son sees things I miss. I see things they miss. And so we have uh, male and female, sons and daughters. We need to actually empower them to understand that one another is not the problem. And I'm looking at this situation right now, especially in today's world. It's almost, you know, in this cancel culture, if you are, well, first of all, the the parameters keep moving. You know, what was okay last year isn't okay year. What was okay last month isn't okay this month. So it's kind of this scary time period. And, you know, when we are coming into this season of challenge, which I think is a season uh, that's an incredible gift for growth. Uh, We are coming into this season. You know, I look at this idea of Deborah and it said that there was 80 years of prosperity under Ehud and then Deborah becomes the judge and the people have gone right back to their idol worship right back to everything. And it said, God sold them, sold them to Jabin, the king of Canaan, because he Mm. was like, okay, I'm gonna have to take you out. So you remember who's your source. 
And it said yeah. village life had ceased. Now that's that's one translation. But when I dug into that, it said that the people would not go out and work their fields because they were afraid of being attacked. And I think a lot of men and women are afraid to go out and work the fields that God has actually entrusted them in because they're afraid of being attacked. It also said that Israel's trade routes were cut off. Now, Mm. how interesting, trade routes cut off, people afraid to work their fields, people afraid Mm. to walk in their strength, people afraid to hope, to dream, to actually live. That's really where we're at right now. And and it's not just about better business practices. People need hope. People need somebody who is going to lead and say to them what Deborah said to this generation. But it was interesting. She was judge and she was prophetess. So she was the ultimate leader. But nothing changed until Mm. she arose a mother. And one of the translations says a motherly protector. It said that warriors were scarce in Israel until you, Deborah, arose a motherly protector. And so I feel like as a older woman, I'm 60 years of age, that I'm in my season of motherly protector, that I Mm -hmm. want to protect the daughters, but not at the expense of the sons. I want to protect the sons, but not at the expense of the daughters. I believe that in God's kingdom, there is no scarcity, that when you add value to men, you don't take it away from women. And when you add value to women, you don't take it away from men. That's good. That's good. From God. So it said that Deborah said, all right, what's going on? And she called for a prince who was in exile named Barak. And this is what she said. And I guess having this privilege of being on this podcast right now, Virgil, this is what I would want to say. Hmm. Has God not said? Has God not said? The things that God said to us as leaders pre-COVID stand. They stand. God didn't say, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was going to happen. God is saying, and you think, well, you know what? I don't even know what God has said. Well, I'm telling you what he is saying to all leaders right now. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong because the Lord your God is with you. And so that that goes whether you're a minister who cannot preach in the pulpit anymore or whether you are a businessman. God is saying, I'm with you. I'm for Mm -hmm. you. But you're going to have to shake yourself out of this complacency and fear where you don't want to work your fields, where you think that man has cut off the trade route. God is saying, if you will make some pivots and you will make some shifts and you will listen for my strategy from heaven, if you will Mm. lift your eyes instead of putting your face down to always look at the phone, God is saying, I want to release new ideas and new beginnings And I love what it says happened. Deborah says to Barak, has God not said? And then it's interesting. He's like, okay, I'll engage the enemy, but you need to go with me. And see, I have felt like it's always meant to be the men and the women. It's like, it wasn't wrong. You know, and as a leader, we don't pull rank. We lend strength. She didn't say how stupid you would want that. She was like, okay. I will go with you, but you need to know it's going to look a little different than you think it's going to look. There's going to be this crazy tent peg woman 
jail. And this is what's going to happen. So you've got this gory battle in chapter four, but that's not the battle that makes me excited. Virgil, I get super excited when I read in chapter five, verse 20, it says the stars in the heavens fought from their courses on that day. And then it says, (laughs) march on my soul, be strong. So when you and I as leaders just get up and say, has God not said, has God not said, something opens up in our hearts, but something shifts in the heavenlies and heaven and earth begin to align with one another. And God's word is always going to be, be strong and of good courage. And it's not about ourselves. We can't have courage according to our circumstances. We can't have courage according to our finances. We have courage according to our source of courage. And so it isn't about book sales. It isn't about the bottom line or profit and loss. It is about what has God said? And yes, it might mean things change. It might mean there's a different strategy, but it never means that God is not with leaders. It just means sometimes we need to recalibrate. And, you know, it was interesting. Um, God gave me Isaiah 310 at the very, or three, maybe it's 310 and 311 at the very beginning of COVID. It said, tell the righteous, it shall be well with them for they will eat the fruit of their deeds. My choices in this season is the seeds of my next season. And so I am, I am committed as a leader to lead with courage, to lead with leaning into God, to lean with kindness, to lean with an understanding that I have influence to lift others to a position of influence. You know, I have this incredible gift of four grandkids and I look at them and I know the day will come where they'll tell a story how our family walked in these days. You know, one of the Mm -hmm. things that we did as an organization, one week into COVID, we said, what can we do to lend strength? That's what was our Mm -hmm. mindset. And we said, you know what? We have to choose to operate in the opposite spirit of our culture. So I had Mm -hmm. a book launch one weekend. And you know what we did? We said, we're going to give away the book for anybody's gift of any amount. And that meant some people gave a dollar. But we said, we believe that we're going to be generous. So they sold the book in the bookstores. Uh, It's called Strong. It was devotional. It was 90 Days to Strength. They sold the book in the bookstores, but we gave it away through our organization. And that spirit of generosity Mm -hmm. snapped that spirit of lack and poverty off of us. Mm -hmm. And um, people follow courage. And courage will always be the opposite spirit of our culture. That's so good. I, I think you could drop the mic right there, Lisa, because that <laughs> that was so much. Um, I love, there's a couple points you hit on that are important to kind of, I love, we don't pull rank, we lend strength. I think that's important in the season. Yeah. I love, I think what you were talking about also with, with the whole Genesis mandate, does it still stand? Yes, it still stands. Yeah. And there's this beautiful co- complementary aspect of how God designed us as men and women, whereas today's culture kind of puts us in competition rather than um, c- 
complementing one another. Uh, one another. Um, and and I love I love coming in the opposite spirit of our culture because I think it's true. I think there's there's an enemy of our souls, and there's there's one who wants to see everything that's opposite of what what God has destined us to and what has called us to. Um, you talked about courage. Um, can, can I'd like to tap into something because I think some people could really benefit from this. Um, you, you and, and your husband, John have been leading together for a long time, um, leading together. It, <laughs> yeah. That takes courage. So what would you say, what would you say are the biggest challenges or struggles in that, in leading together? Um, I think I can talk about for myself. Yeah. Um, I had to overcome a lot of fears hmm. and fear is a horrible counselor. So I had to learn that I could have a concern and bring it to my husband. But if I had it cased as a fear, it was really hard for him to hear it. So I had to learn how to say things in a way they could be heard because Mm -hmm. John is very visionary. And so when I would come to him, instead of putting up roadblocks or obstacles, I would have to come to him and say, listen, I am for you. I am with you. (laughs) But here is a concern I see that you may not have noticed. And speaking to somebody, especially if you're working together, as though they are an ally to be worked with rather than an enemy to oppose, I think that's the biggest challenge. And and knowing, and knowing, that you're, you're building something together. And I think sometimes like my husband is very direct. And so he would say to me, um, don't hint, but don't be disrespectful. So, uh-huh. so, you know, like I, if I felt like I wasn't heard, Virgil, this is what I would do. I would say it, then I would layer it with nagging <laughs> or a threat or whatever. And, and it, it was counterproductive. And so I had to learn as a good leader to lend my strength without compromising my input by overloading it with emotion. Does that make Mm. sense? That's huge. That's huge. Write things down and, (laughs) um, and think about it and then even come to him and say, I want to do this right. I need your help. I, I want to feel heard. And, and then I would, we both practiced this thing that was really important is both of us are over skaters. Like we take it from here to here, like super fast. Both of us were like, ah! you know, so um, if the Enneagram had been around, I mean, some people think it's Christian. <laughs> we would never have gotten married. Let's just put it that way. Uh, we're, we're, we're we're both these like crazy, high intensity, high passion. So we had to bring it down and we'd have to reflect what the other person was saying before yeah. we said something. So I used to be so busy formulating my response that I couldn't actually repeat what my husband said. Right. So I had to learn to say, so what you're saying is... I never do this. And they'd be like, well, okay, no, you don't. 
or what you're saying is, and then repeat something Grady said so that he knew I heard him. Yeah. And then this is really easy. Then I would add, and yet at the same time, so I'm not, neglate, not negating what he just said. That's good. That's good. And at the same time, here's this concern. And, uh, and again, I will say as a wife and as somebody who co-founded something with my husband, I probably have two regrets. One is I wish I would have let John make more mistakes. And I know that sounds very counterproductive when I'm talking uh-huh. to leaders, but there were certain risks my husband wanted to take that I was afraid of. Mm-hmm. And I have learned, we have tried some stuff and it failed. And those failures ended up being doorways yeah. for the right thing. Now, am I saying we had to make the mistake? No, but here's the beautiful thing. Leaders learn from mistakes and they mm-hmm. understand that mistakes if you choose to use them this way, our tuition to a better future choice. And so as much as I hate making mistakes, I know that some of our biggest mistakes ended up being our doorways. That's good. I think it's important. I think just that statement, leaders learn from mistakes is important because sometimes we we want to avoid mistakes at all costs, or we think that if we make a mistake, it's, you know, it's over. But sometimes that opens the door. Uh, to something even better. Um, I love this. You you might've seen me laughing throughout because, um, you know, my wife and I lead together and experience exactly what you're saying. We're learning and this is going to help us out. You, you mentioned two regrets. One was to let John make more mistakes. Do you, yes. Was there another one? Yes. The second one is, again, I love my husband. I wish I would have loved him more freely earlier on. Okay. And, and what does that what does that mean? I'll what does that mean? So I came from a broken family and I was raised don't trust men. They'll always leave you. They'll never be there for you. Be independent, get an education, get a good job. Hmm. I I did not follow my career path. I studied international economics. Um, at University of Arizona while I was majoring in partying and suntanning. But I I ended up, you know, going a completely different path, uh, standing alongside, but for many years alongside was behind, which I was great with. Um, And so I measured my all in. I was like, I'm going to love my husband this much, but no no more, because what if he hurts me? What if he leaves me? I don't want to give him my whole heart. I, I'll be, I'll be empty. And this is, this is something I've learned, not just with marriage, but with life. I would rather give my all and fail than give part and wonder. And wow. so I've been married 38 years for the first eight years. I'm not going to lie. I, I was the first one to push away. I pat my husband. We were hugging. I, I, I had a rough time <laughs> knowing how to love my husband. Yeah. I was so yeah. immersed with children and, and, you know, all this kind of thing. And this is something going back to these mistakes and learning from mistakes. You know, John and I have four magnificent sons. They're better people than us. 
I, I have mm. no doubt that God will do more through them than through us. I've prayed it over them since they were little. I've told them, mm -hmm. I've quoted Isaiah over them. You are for signs and wonders and miracles. You are not for death and destruction. You are disciples taught of the Lord and great is your peace and undisturbed composure. I spoke this over my boys, but we are not perfect parents. But one thing that we did well is John and I both own our mistakes. And when you're a leader, whether it's leading as a parent or leading a ministry organization or leading a corporation, when you own your mistakes, it doesn't make you look weaker in the eyes of your people. It makes you look safe. And being vulnerable and saying, you know what? That was a really bad choice. Or I should not have spoken to you that way. Or that's not the kind of leader I want to be. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I want to bring up the best in people. I don't want to have people flinch in my presence. You know, I, having those kind of mindsets where you are intentional to redeem your mistakes, that's how David was. Now, Saul yeah. defended his bad choices, but David confessed them. And that's why you can move onward. That's so good. I think, I think, um, this is really helpful, Lisa, for um, not only leaders who are already leading together, but for, for young leaders who in the future will. Yeah. I think it's a great model um, to have uh, leaders like yourselves, like you and John, that that we can have as a point of reference of, hey, it's possible to lead, and not only lead, but lead well together. But it's a it's a journey. It's a pro It's not automatic. It's not a it takes intentionality. It takes, um, hey, yeah. inviting God into this um, in this process. I want to I want to ask you, um, connected but maybe kind of shifting a little bit. Sure. Your book, your book, Godmothers, right? Yes. It's connected to all these things we're talking about. Um, it's you, you feel this is a dynamic that maybe has been lost throughout time. Talk to us a little bit about your book, Godmothers. Yeah. So I am half Sicilian, but this is not about mafia. This is a, a dynamic that the early church understood was necessary. So in the early church, people had godparents because when they got born again, Virgil, they lost everything. They lost mm. their family. They lost their social status. They lost their place in the temple. Whatever that looked like in their world, everything shifted. It wasn't just a new attribution. It was a major shift. And so godparents were those that came alongside of them and said, I take personal responsibility for your growth. These are people that are on the path ahead of us. And, you know, I'm a woman, so I wrote as a godmother, but we need godfathers. You know, we need, we need both. I mean, Paul was a godfather to Timothy. He said, hey, you don't, you have many this, but you don't have many fathers. You know, and we fathers and mothers want more for their children than they ever had for themselves. And so yeah. zero to 30, you're growing, you're learning. 30 to 60, you're building and establishing. 60 and on, you better be imparting and marking some pathways for the next generation. And so what I wanted to do is take what I've learned the hard way and pen it so that the next generation didn't have to learn it the hard way. And, you know, I cried out for something like this. 
uh, when I was coming up. I would have loved to have the Avail podcast. I would have loved to have an older woman mm-hmm. say, baby girl, I tried that. That doesn't work well. Don't do it. Or baby girl, I did this. And that was where God met me. That is where the door opened. You know, I would have loved to have that, but I didn't. And so what I did is I decided to write what I wish somebody would have said for me. So I talk about everything from focus because godmothers have this ability. You can call them and they see this huge problem in your life and you're talking about one thing, but they're seeing the one thing. They're like, oh, I'm going to tell you what this is going to build in your life. I'm going to tell you this catalyst of what you think is a crisis is actually a catalyst of transformation for you and your life and your organization or your ministry or your marriage, whatever it is, they can recognize things at 60 that you can't recognize at 20 or 30 or 40. And uh, sometimes they're maybe even younger than you. It's about a maturity thing. It's about somebody on the road ahead of you. And I just felt like it was important to do that in this season. And I have many godsons as well, but my publishers want me to write to women because that's (laughs) the majority of Christian books is women. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, You know, what I hear um, in this whole concept of your book, Godmothers, it's really kind of a a, a mentoring and discipleship from a position of experience and further down the road, but with a heart kind of holistically, not just for you to be healthy in your body, right? But to be healthy in your soul, to be healthy in your spiritual walk. Um, I love that. I love that. You you know, one thing that I know you've, you've mentioned over uh, and over again, and it's evident in your ministry is a commitment to discipleship, right? Um, What what would you speak on that? I mean, what, what, what would you say to leaders on the importance of discipleship? You know, Jesus didn't say, have people pray the prayer. He said, make disciples. And disciple is somebody who practices the disciplines of Jesus Christ. And we we don't necessarily uh, understand what that looks like just by a Sunday service. You know, so you have to you have to resource people where they can see it. You know, I, I heard someone say discipleship is watch me do it. Do it with me. And then I watch you do it. And so yeah. it's, it's a threefold. And I, I would tell leaders, you know, pour in to your people. Don't just speak in front of them, speak into them. And I'm wow. not asking them to have that relationship with everybody, but Jesus had his, his 500, then he had his 50, then he had his 12, and then he had his three. And so you've got, you've got people that you can start discipling where you can look at them and say, Hey, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, there's certain areas like you and I talked ahead of time where there was a couple questions. I was like, yeah, you don't want me speaking into that because it's not a place of strength. So I know that if you came to me and said, Lisa, I want to write a book. I could help you with that. If you said, Lisa, I want to build my marriage. I could help you with that. Lisa, I want to build my family. I could help you with that. Lisa, I want to build a message. I need to work on my, those are things. But then there's other things. It's not my lane. It's not something I've got as a strength, but wisdom is known by her children. And I can look at my life and say, these are the areas I know 
are strong. And then these are the areas where I'm working still. Don't follow me in this area, follow me in this area. And so I think that even saying to somebody, uh, this is a way I did it and I wish I wouldn't have done it that way is redeeming, is redeeming to somebody. And um, I hosted a, a, a live event on Sunday night on marriage and it was just, it was so um, humbling and so eye-opening by how many people um, have just never had anybody model healthy marriage. So true. And, so true. And ministry. And I know that my husband and I made it up as we went along, which meant some seasons were better than others. But I'm mm-hmm. looking at my children and they're doing it better than John and I did it. And that wow. makes my heart so happy. My husband is now my dream husband. I tell him that all the time. Uh, when he's my dream husband, that means I love dreaming with him. And so I'm excited about the season that is. And uh, I hope you heard my passion. You know, I've had the incredible privilege of speaking in front of hundreds of thousands of people, but I'm more mm-hmm. excited about speaking into people. So this opportunity so with a veil is just so my heart. Thank you, Virgil. So good. Lisa, this is so good. I know we're we're coming to a point where we're going to be wrapping this up. Uh, I think a, a good segue from here before we finish, um, you know, talking about all this, you know, the first ones we need to disciple, the first ones we need to mentor, the first ones we need to model to are our kids. And I know that something that's important to you and your husband is just this family dynamic and this generational calling, if you will. You know, you mentioned your your grandkids, but also your kids and kind of the experience of working together in ministry with them. What's that like? Again, it's the best of things. I mean, it's it's the whole tale of two cities. It was the best of times and the worst of times. It's the time that try men's soul. You know, so we are committed. We're Italians. We love family. We love family mm-hmm. and we fight for family. We don't just fight as a family. We fight for family. And I believe that I am not what I do. I am what I leave behind. So I, I see my children flourishing as my success. Yeah, I know that sounds counterproductive. There, I, I have a beautiful friend. Um, her name is Leah, and her and her husband, pastor in uh, Singapore, Heart of God Church, is amazing. She said it the best way. She said, "The next generation is not our replacements; they're our reinforcements." And yep. if you understand that your children are an extension of everything that God has given you, whether that's a corporation, whether that is a nonprofit, whether that is influence, because that's what I feel like John and I have is the influence factor. Yeah. You want, you want to see that reinforced, you know, it becomes an echo, you know, what is, what is a blessing to you becomes a blessing to them. And so being, being smart and understanding how to coach it, but not, not being afraid to speak uh, into situations. We've opened, like we, you know, we, we don't pull the mom and dad card on certain conversations. We have conversations that we step back and we dream together and we vision cast and we pivot 
And then we have other conversations that are family conversations, but, but we don't neglect having the conversations because anytime we've been too busy to have the conversations with our team around these things and with our four sons, we get in trouble. So, you know, we, again, we, we welcome uh, family. We also think it's really important life around the table, you know, eating, eating yeah. at the table. That's what the disciples did from house to house. They broke bread and fellowshiped. And, you know, that's kind of what our family does. And then entrusting your, your children without entitling them. Um, our boys worked for our ministry for free for a long time. And I remember one of my sons was working in the warehouse and they said, hey, we really need to get some, some weeding done. At, and Austin called me and he was like, I don't feel like this is my job description. I don't think I should be pulling weeds. I think if I pull weeds, <laughs> I should get more money. And, you know, this was when he was making a little bit of money. And I was like 16 or 17. And I said, Austin, who makes more money, a garbage man or a doctor? And he was like, a doctor. And I said, but who works harder physically, the garbage man or the doctor? He said, the garbage man. And I was like, okay, so maybe I should deduct your pay while you are weeding. And he was like, okay, I'll, I'll go do it. So we had, we actually put a stronger standard on our boys than we even, like I probably would never talk to another employee that way. But my son, because he shares my name, is under a stricter standard, but he's yeah. also under a greater favor. So you have to balance yeah. both of those. And I think too many mm -hmm. ministers didn't do that with their kids. They either yeah. gave them too much or were too hard on them, you know, and it's, it's a dance. And, um, and our boys, you know, thankfully uh, have, have done it well. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. I think, uh, I think that the dream every leader has, especially church and ministry leaders, is to see the legacy carried on, you know, by our kids and grandkids. And so you guys are a great example of that. Um, as we're closing up here, uh, Lisa, I know that there's a lot of great resources. I'd like maybe, maybe just to mention a few. I know uh, Identity on Purpose is one of those books that's just been really special. You know, wh what are some of those resources that you want to just kind of plug and, and push out there for people to, to check out? Yeah, so I have a book called Without Rival that was on identity and purpose. And it was a very interesting dynamic. I was, I was in a moment where God spoke to me and he said, I don't love my children equally. And I thought, oh, blasphemy, blasphemy, what do you say? And he said, <laughs> I love them uniquely. And I looked up the word unique and unique means without rival. So God's love for me does not diminish his love for you because God is love. He doesn't have love. And what we have is a generation trying to figure out what they're called to do when they don't even know who they are. And we have all this comparison set up of who they're not. They look yeah. at Instagram. Oh, maybe I'll try to copy that person or wait, that person's already doing what was in my heart there. There's a constant messaging of who they're not. But see, you and I don't discover who we are in the presence of people. We discover mm. who we are in the presence of God. And if we can pause and step back and let God put his holy imprint on us 
first and foremost. If he can mark us, then we won't have the fear of man hanging over us because we'll have the fear of God. We'll be like, hey, I, I know, I know who God calls me. And, you know, it's interesting. God is usually in the name change business. If you look at the whole idea of Peter and Simon, he changes Simon, which is a biblical name to Peter. And it's, it's because I think who we've been is not who we are becoming. And mm. most of us know who we have been, but only God knows who we are becoming. And so he will usually speak a name that is attached to our destiny, whereas our past and culture and the enemy of our souls will try to anchor us to a name attached to our history. And so we need to be those people who hear from God and embrace who he calls us. You know, he calls us brave when we're afraid. He calls us loved when we are unloving. He calls us beautiful when we are ugly. He calls us his greatest desire when we are enemies. You know, and so this is the God that we serve. He always is speaking to destiny. He's always speaking to where we're going. He's always speaking future and hope. And we need to learn his language in this time period where we are overwhelmed by the narrative of our culture that wants to capitalize on past pains. I, I feel like we need to be a people instead of talking about the one who wasn't there for us, we begin to talk about the one who is. And the, you know, there's, there's certain things, you know, sadly, um, Virgil, there's certain things we're never going to see made right in this earth. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we don't belong to another kingdom where everything yeah. we made right. So I think that sometimes we get a little uh, entangled in certain things that leaders need to rise above. That's that's excellent. Uh, that's the book Without Rival. Um, Lisa, if people want to um, maybe see more of your resources, is there a website uh, that they can connect yeah. to? Yeah. So um, there's Lisa Bevere. I believe it's, hang on, let me find it. I think it's .org, but it could be .com. I should know that. <laughs> and then Instagram is where the nicer people are. I, you know, face, I am on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, it's LisaBevere.com. Uh, I am on Facebook. Yes. I am on Twitter, but Instagram seems to be nicer people. So LisaBevere.com. Uh, and then all of the books are on Amazon. So they can reach out, you know, reach out and get a hold of those anywhere. That's awesome. Um, so I wanted to mention one last thing before we close off. Um, I'm holding here, for those that are watching the video of the podcast, I'm hold, holding the Avail Journal with our friend. We have a friend in common, Dr. Yeah. Sam Chand here on the cover. Um, have you had a chance to see this of the Avail Journal? Have you had a chance to take a look at it, Lisa? Okay, we did get sent one. I am going to tell you, John took it. So I okay. did glance at it, but before I could dive in, Mr. Bevere took it. So he is super <laughs> excited about it. And I love, I love everything. Um, there's just, there's just so much intentionality around it yeah. that I think is so necessary right now. Yeah. Well, one of the cool things, Lisa, is that we're actually offering uh, everybody uh, a one year a free annual subscription. This is a quarterly journal. It comes out, you know, quarterly um, every year. And so one year 
subscription free to check out the, I would say the premier Christian leadership uh, journal of the moment. It's really a, an amazing journal, great resources. Uh, I, I know that there's some great stuff coming up from Lisa Bevere and from John Bevere as well on upcoming available journals. So I want to make sure everybody who's on li- uh, online connected to this podcast or even watching this, uh, this on YouTube or somewhs else online uh, you can go to availjournal.com availjournal.com get your free annual subscription also if you like the just being in the leadership conversation and mix if you go to availleadershipconnect.com there's a there's a, a private connect Facebook group for leaders that are connected to the avail leadership world uh, you can uh, connect with amazing world-class leaders just like Lisa and her husband John and um, we want to make sure you're able to find these remember for all of Lisa's books, you can find them on Amazon. Uh, you can also go to lisabevere.com to get more information and connect more with her ministry. And of course, check her out on Instagram. Uh, it's a good place to connect with her on uh, on social media under, under Lisa Bevere. Lisa, I want to just say on behalf of the Avail team, uh, myself, and I got to say this, my wife, Gislaine, uh, we just want to tell you, we're so thankful for your life and for your ministry. We honor you and we honor John um, for the, for the, years uh, and I would I think I could say with with uh, confidence of tireless effort in helping people get close to God and helping people uh, take steps in their in their relationships in their families in their ministries and as leaders you are an inspiration Lisa. Uh, your husband's an inspiration, everything you guys are doing with your family. Listen, as a, as a young pastor uh, who's pastoring together with my wife and raising up young kids and believing and being a pastor's kid myself and believing that there's a legacy that we are living yes. and a legacy yeah. that we can live, that yeah. is so exciting and encourage me, encouraging to me. So can I just say on behalf of the Avail team, we honor you. We thank you for what you're doing. And we can't wait to see all that the Lord has left with you. Thank you so much, Virgil. It's a blessing. Everybody, thank you for connecting with us on the Avail Leadership Podcast. Remember, uh, on a weekly basis, we have new podcasts coming out. We have new resources come out coming out every month. We have the Avail Journal coming out on a quarterly basis throughout the year. Make sure you stay plugged in because we want to help you in the art of leadership. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you to your husband, John. Thank you to your whole family. And on behalf of the Avail team, this wraps it up for another Avail Leadership Podcast. We'll catch you here next time. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Avail Leadership Podcast. Remember, you can get your free annual subscription to the Avail Journal by going to availjournal.com. Also, find out more about Lisa and the valuable resources she has to offer by going to lisabevere.com. We pray your week has been blessed by this episode. And as always, thank you for connecting with us to learn the art of leadership here at the Avail Leadership Podcast.